Some people claim that the atrocities we commit in our fiction are those inner desires which we cannot commit in our controlled civilization. So they are expressed instead through our art. I don't agree. I believe heaven and hell are one and the same. The soul belongs to heaven and the body to hell. Welcome back to the Blasphemous Cinema Podcast. I'm your host, Jake, and with me today is, of course, my trustworthy co-host, Addison. How are you doing today, Addison? I'm good, man. How about yourself? You know, we're doing good. Um, second attempt, as I screwed up a little bit on the first attempt, but we're back. Um, you know, it's my day off, um, and we're here pretty early um, recording this podcast on Dario Argento's 1982 Tenebre, um, one of Dario Argento's most celebrated films and one of the most celebrated Giallo films, period. Um, it follows a writer who wrote this book named Tenebre, and over in his press tour in Rome, um, some killings start happening, um, that detail like that follows some the details within the book a killer with a razor blade killing victims um killing women and um then peter neal the author starts getting some phone calls starts getting some letters um at his hotel with transcripts from the book that type of thing um yeah, so this followed up his uh, Mother of Tears trilogy. Um, this is definitely one of, yeah, like I said, de- definitely one of um, Argento's most beloved films. Um, and for me personally, I kind of walked out of this one a little bit on the conflicted side. Not necessarily to the point where I didn't like the film, but where it's just like, I don't know where I currently stand, like rating wise, consensus wise on this film. What but, was conflicting about it to you? I don't know. I, I felt even, so I would say that I didn't really like start really enjoying it as much as I wanted to until like 45 minutes in. Oh, okay. um, even though I did really like some of the setup and stuff. There was just, there's, I felt like there was just something that, that wasn't there that really entranced me like Argento's other films compared to this one. Um, that's why I said it's like, I personally, I feel like I need another viewing on this until I can give like my full, like, all right, I think this is like a four, I think this is four and a half, whatever. Um, I do like a lot of the stuff in the second act. I really, and that stuff was like ever since I'm watching it last night, I've grown to, and I really like this a lot more than I thought I did. I like this a lot, because um, there's a lot of really awesome ideas that Argento does in like the second half and even the third act of the film, that's completely different than what other some of the other Giallo films and what has and Argento did in his career previous. Um, but I know you like it. Oh, yeah. I really like it. I think it's top tier Argento up there with opera and 
the bird with the crystal plumage. Mm-hmm. It like it has a special kind of voyeuristic like suspense that I think only few directors can tap into successfully, like Hitchcock or De Palma. But mm-hmm. it's just one of those things where as I was watching it, I just really enjoyed the direction of it and how he shot every it together suspense wise. And some of yeah. the kills look with the like with the razor blade and the with the shirt and the towel and everything cutting yeah. her face like through it and again, i don't know it just has a lot of creativity behind it especially the final act the final act gets really yeah wild. the final act is really it's one like you said it's wild but it's like argento at his most creative like peak almost in like the way that he maneuvers through a murder mystery and the kills that come along with it and the twists and turns yeah it's the third act is phenomenal um i love how schlocky the gore is too like it's oh yeah super fun to watch like it's not like graphic in the sense that it's disturbing it's more just like fun it's like caked in blood it's like caked in blood yeah yeah um Bringing up, well, I found it interesting that you obviously brought up Brian De Palma. I haven't watched any of De Palma's films. Really? Um, yeah. So, I, but I know, like, De Palma has actually said that, you know, so, from, like, suspense and, like, there's some definitely some influence from Argento onto his films. So, I, that makes me want to go out and watch De Palma even more now. Um, so I found that, you know, I just had to add that in. Um, you should definitely watch, like, Dress to Kill or, like, Obsession. Like, there's a lot of ones that are super yeah. interesting. Is it Blowout De Palma? Or no? Yes. Yeah, Blowout yes, it is De Palma. Do you like Blowout? Yeah, Blowout's good also. Okay. Um. So, yeah. There is a lot of interesting background context with Inferno that I don't know if you knew about, but so there was a point after, um, I think, Suspiria that Dario Argento started getting um, phone calls from an obsessed fan. Um, (laughs) And to the point where it's like at the beginning, he was just saying like, you know, Argent like Suspiria had like almost messed with him so much that it was almost ruining his life. Then it got to the point where it was like full on death threats and shit like that, where like he wanted to ruin Argento's life because Argento ruined his life with Suspiria to the point where it forced Argento to move like three times. That's wild. When he was in Los Angeles, it started happening. Then he moved to Santa Monica. Happened after like a month, it started happening again. The fan found him. Then moved back to Italy, and that's where um, things started calming down a bit. And he was able to start writing again. Because during this whole thing, he wasn't able to write. And that's where the inspiration for Tenebre came about. Um, I could see that. Yeah. So I found that very interesting. Um, and obviously knowing that you can see it's in some of the the movie as well. But 
um, like in the movie, there's a point where um, Peter Neal, the author, is sitting down with a bunch of journalists on a press tour, and one of the other journalists who actually, you know, he's actually has a good relationship with brings up the fact that um, his films are, um, not his films, his, um, his books is, his book is sexist because of the violence towards women and stuff like that. Um, and he kind of got that a lot too. Yes. And that, that's why he included it. And then towards like for the rest of the movie, it's like a, it's almost a commentary on the way people viewed that, that aspect of his movies. Um, so I found that to be extremely brilliant too. to use that as like a setup. And then later in the film, keep on going from that. Um, I really love that. Um, All the because in this movie is really well done. Yeah. And that's what makes me appreciate it even more. And I, I don't know when I'm going to rewatch this, but I do, I do really look forward to the rewatch um, because, like I said, there's just a lot of stuff here that we're talking about that Argento didn't have with some of his other films that clearly puts this one, like, in another almost tier of Argento. It's Um, in its own little world. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah, and the kills are very good. I I kept on finding myself like kill after kill. Um there's a lot of really creative stuff like you were saying with like the shirt where he like cuts a slit open the shirt and then you have the um the girl's face like through the hole and yeah. It's, yeah. There's a lot of really good stuff that like I almost felt like, especially the shirt thing, I almost felt like it was going to happen. That happened, I was like, damn, that's that's awesome. And I'm glad that you know, Argento, this late in his career, is still able to do new creative things like that. Um, yeah, not with dark glasses, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I still need to watch that. Uh, that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a lot of people considered this movie Argento's last great film. So, um, yeah, I that where people were saying this was like his final peak, and then it just was all downhill from there. Downhill from that, yeah. Um, so, getting into some um, some spoiler stuff, there's a point in the film where you find out that there's a killer switch, which is really well done, in my opinion. Yeah, like, this is, like, easily one of my favorite aspects of the movie. Like, I don't know, at least for me, up to this point, I haven't heard, I haven't seen a movie where, like, there's, like, a killer switch in the middle of the movie. And I thought that was incredibly well done. Um, So you find out that um, the the initial killer is one of the journalists um, that was there who was very quiet. Um, had him on for like a um, like kind of talk show type thing. Cristiano, um, I think, was his name. Yeah, I think I think it was Cristiano, but that was like the original killer. Yeah. Um, and so there's a point where um, Peter Neal and um, one of the um, agent helpers with him go to his house, and then 
um, he ends up getting killed. And then it's later revealed that, like, the kid who um, saw the killing of him seeing the fucking axe to the face kill um, didn't see the killer, but he heard um, this journalist say some things, and it was the from the same exact voice that he was calling up some of um, using a phone using on phone calls with um, calling Peter Neal, and um, this kid had a lot of PTSD from seeing this kill happen. Um, there's a point where he gets into a, almost gets into a major accident because of the flashback and stuff like that. But him remembering that brought forward the fact that, oh, wait, this guy was the original killer. Um, he was re- he was literally just, like, being obsessed with the book and, like, taking kills out from the book and, you know, going through it that way. But there's a point where it, switch- that it switches right after that. And... Yeah. You don't, it's wild because, um, I will, I want to let, I want you to explain what the switch is after this. What, at what now? You want me to explain now? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, explain this, like, the killer switch. Well, the kid had to go back to the house because he kept having, like, repressed flashbacks, essentially, from the PTSD. Back to the house, he would come and realize what he had actually saw and yeah. so you he finds out you see him see another basically like flashback where he sees that he the journalist dude was explaining that he was the killer to somebody and yeah. then he dies and the kid runs back to his car to go tell peter neal who the actual killer was but peter neal has already left supposedly <laughs> from italy and yeah. then the kid gets choked out by like a, a rope or a wire in his car and he dies and so Later on, you have this other chick named Jane who's sitting at her house, and she is talking about how she has, like, split personality disorders. She needs Anne, the assistant, to come help her because she's thinking about killing herself. She doesn't know what's going to happen. And she's sitting there with a gun at the table, and her hand, her whole arm basically just gets hacked off by an axe through the window. <laughs> and then the detectives find out that something's going on at the house, too, and they show up, and one of the detectives gets hit by an axe. And yeah. then Anne runs in there, and Anne sees that it is actually Peter Neal who is the new killer from The Switch, the guy who wrote the books initially. And then that once the detective shows up and sees that he killed the other detective, he's confused, but then he kind of puts it together, and he finds out that Peter Neal killed the guy initially because he wanted to sit there and frame the other guy who was having an affair with his wife for yeah. all the killings and then blame him so then they would be put away and then he would get off scot-free because he was supposedly already on a plane back from Italy to where he would have an alibi to the point where he wasn't there. Yeah. So Peter Neal ended up being the killer switch and then he fakes his own death with a prop razor blade. Which was, this was so blood. cool. This was so <laughs> cool. Um, so like the detective and um, the other person is looking at Peter and he takes a razor blade to his neck, and you think he kills himself. Um, the detective goes back into the house, and Peter Neal is gone. And he picks up the blade, and there's a little red button on it. 
that squirts out blood from the blade. And I honestly, dude, I felt like this could have been done like so badly, but I actually loved it so much. Um, then it worked out really well. But my one problem with that is, is I know Argento left it in there just for suspense and just to be like, aha, like a really funny moment. Uh But I feel like in real life, if someone faked their death and, and had the razor blade why would yeah. they leave the fake razor blade like why wouldn't they just no, take that's that true. yeah yeah that's true. That's true. <laughs> but no i completely agree with you it's so much fun and it's done so well because it, it with any other director it could come across as really corny or lame but argento films it in that suspenseful way to where when you see the fake like blood squirting razor it's like actually a really good moment yeah um so then he kills the detective, correct? I'm trying Yeah, he Yeah, axes... he kills him with the yeah. axe. Yeah, he axes him. Um then um because the detective doesn't come back, his agent, you know, goes back into the house and where P- Peter Neal is like awaiting her arrival and the as... metal statue <laughs> is blocking the door. <laughs> the metal there's this metal statue blocking the door. And as Peter Neal is, like, preparing to axe her, she flings the door open and knocks it. One (laughs) of the pieces spears him in the stomach. And honestly, like, the prosthetics of this is all so good. Like, just him, like... Like trying to get off of the thing. Oh, it's it's bloody as hell. Um, the prosthetic of it going through yeah. him looked really good too. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's like prosthetics used throughout this movie. It looked really yeah. good. Like when he axes the first detective in the house, that's like a full prosthetic body where the I axe know, goes yeah. into the shoulder. And then yeah. he does a cool little camera trick where then it cuts to her falling on the ground and it's really her. But at first yeah. when the thing gets axed, it's prosthetic. Mm-hmm. And then that girl's prosthetic arm that gets completely amputated with the axe and blood spraying everywhere looks so good too yeah um also like what what we were saying like kicked in blood when that person gets their um their arm cut off dude the amount of blood in this scene like just going over the walls is just amazing it's like you know that's not very like argento but at this point it's just like it it feels so right it and, felt kind of like Raimi esque. Yeah, and it just felt like, hey, this is really cool that um, Argento is kind of going in this direction with his blood and gore. Um, and and then you get that yeah. really good shot of the the like the POV shot of the killer where they're co- they're coming back to the house after he amputates her arm. Yeah, and it goes across the camera goes across the wall covered in blood, and you see the light cut out. Yeah, and then when he axes the detective, it shows him walking behind the detective's body as she's bleeding out and it's that the shadow of his feet and the axe that he's holding it, it just mm. looks so good yeah it's really good shots like cinematography from argenta that you don't really see a lot playing with shadows and light yeah there's a bunch of actual pov shots in this movie too um throughout that's the, the voyeuristic movie. aspect yeah yeah um and th- it's really hard for um you know to get kills that like look realistic with like realistic impacts like you know what i'm saying like especially with the axes and the axe stuff in this movie um there's points where it's like um 
you actually get you can tell there's impact stuff and it tries to cover it up as best as possible in the direction with it is actually really good. Yeah, um, I mean, like you feel saying, the impact of yeah. every axe swing and everything. And even if they are prosthetics, I think they look really good and they're exactly. hitting really well. Like, yeah. it just all fits within, like, the the digenics of the actual film itself. It just all looks good. And, I mean, even, even all the flashback stuff with the Peter Neal's first kill yeah. on the Northern Island, all that stuff is all POV. Especially and it that, all looks yeah. great. And yeah. that's, like, the red flag. And that's what I mean, like, the good direction. It's not really a red flag, but that's that good foreshadowing that the POV we've been seeing since the killer switch mm-hmm. was Peter. Those, those flashback scenes as the POV as well. It's just really yeah. clever direction. Exactly. And like you, um, so I want to bring up like there's, you have you heard of the movie The Edge of the Axe? I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Okay. It's bad. Um, <laughs> so, but this movie was like kind of renowned for like doing like where you like actually see like the full body where it's like the actors and impact impacts of an axe kill mm-hmm. on them. Um, and I was like, I was pretty excited for it honestly because I thought the killer design looked really cool. And hearing that, I was like, yeah, it's, it's probably going to be something pretty interesting. Um, no, it wasn't. I mean, there was, in even, like, the impact stuff, You there was, like, points where you could tell, like, the axe, like, that he used, like, was kind of, like, really flimsy. And oh, it was, so it didn't look as good as No, this. it didn't. It didn't. It, like, it, it it's, it's, like, it like a prop oh my, it's almost like, Hey, you want to do this really nice, awesome thing, but let's actually just like ruin it while you're doing it too. <laughs> like, it made no sense. Because um, in Tenebra, it feels like they're using a real axe on those. Protests. Exactly, exactly. Um, then, so bringing up like the um, the flashback scenes of Peter Neal, where he, his first kill. Um, yeah, I mean the first the first time that this is brought up in the film. I was like, I was like, okay, where is this going? You know, like it, ha- it happens like the first two times, and you still don't know what like what's going on here with it. Um, then you realize at the end what you know what it is. Um, but yeah. so there's this woman, you know, that um, a very and, promiscuous woman. <laughs> yeah, like. So Peter Neal is at this basically insinuating that he's kind of at an orgy almost. And um, so you get like that whole scene. Then it's Peter Neal getting beat up, correct? Where he's... Yeah, he like... Yeah. ...for himself, but she wants all the dudes. And then he gets mad about it and tackles her. And then all the dudes come and beat the shit out of him. And then he... And then he tries to get up, and the girl stomps her red heels into his mouth. Yeah. And then um, later on, he goes back and stabs her to death. Yeah, so, like, and then the second scene is, like, you see the POV of him and, like, the trees. Then he goes and stabs her. Um, but, like, red shoes, the red shoes that she's wearing is a pretty prominent um, iconography. He took him and he made him, yeah. he took him and made him his, uh, made Jane put him on, the girl he asked yeah. her arm off. Yeah, um, pretty prominent iconography throughout the film. 
Um, especially like, dude, like the one scene um, where it's so good was like the um, like the downtown area or whatever. Um, I think it's like right after it shows like red shoes, but the, the scene like right after it, um, where the one um agent get killed gets killed in like the town square or whatever yeah that was such a cool kill too because it's like it literally happens in broad daylight in front of so many people and people don't notice until like he literally grabs on a girl's skirt and she didn't she realizes that like this person literally just been stabbed yeah that was the one of the suspenseful scenes that i was talking about that was done so right that only yeah. a few people I've seen be able to pull something like that off, like Hitchcock and De Palma. Because you yeah. see him, you know, turn around, see the girl crying, and then he's, like, walking forward, and he keeps turning around, looking around, and it keeps cutting back to the girl as she gets closer, and you don't really know what's happening. And then you yeah. see the POV shot. And from the POV shot, when the agent sees the killer from the POV shot, he knows him. Like, he exactly. recognizes him. And then you see the knife get pulled out, and then he starts getting stabbed. And then he falls to the ground, and that's when everyone starts crowding around. And then even Jane walks up. Yeah, and you see the red And, then, and yeah, she leaves. Yeah. And she just leaves him. And then yeah. she, and she thinks that she did it. Yeah. Which is, which is funny, because that's the, the split personality thing. She thinks that she killed him. Yeah. You see, like, the red shoes on the ground. Like, you see her walk up, and you see him walk away. And, dude, like, that was so well done. That was easily one of my, like, favorite um scenes in the movie it was um, a nice bait and switch because they make from that point on exactly until and, you see peter Neal. yeah um and i think like that especially the direction like you know the whole commentary almost on you know how people don't really don't have the awareness of like the stuff that's going on around them um like literally this person top crowded town square gets stabbed multiple times and he's on the ground and it's not until this person literally walks on top of him and he grabs their skirt do does she realize that what had happened yeah um yeah and it's like the whole thing where you learn about in psychology class is like if um like you can literally just be in like a crowded apartment complex and someone's screaming out for help most of the time, it's actually not going to happen until it's like it has to deal with them. Yeah, like the house that Jack built. No yeah. one's going to help. <laughs> exactly. No one's going to help. No one um, cares. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really done really well. Um, so yeah, the red shoes throughout are um, pretty big iconography through the film. And it, like, obviously, like you said, with Jane and all that stuff, it gets gets wrapped up very nicely and i can say that for sure it's like dude the way that argento like wrapped up in this film with all of, like the the i wouldn't say like the strings and stuff of every like where this movie goes is just done so well yeah um, usually if you have a movie with this many plot threads there's gonna be get one super convoluted yeah it can get convoluted for the point where maybe one doesn't get answered or where you just gets messy to the point where you're just like well what's this what's this well yeah um, but argento wraps it up perfectly like you say like there's like every every question is answered and is figured out by the end with every plot thread yep um and now i'm thinking you know remember the point where um so 
the the aging helper who goes back and like Peter Neal's gone. I should have thought straight from there when that aging kid gets killed that Peter Neal should have been the killer. Cause yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's like literally like I'm thinking back as like, dude, oh my god, that could have been like the biggest giveaway. And I didn't even think about it whatsoever. And I think that's like the genius of Dario Argento in that scene because I, I don't know. You did you think about it at all? I mean, I didn't. No, I mean, I think that was kind of the point though too was that not revealing the killer switch until a key moment, and then with the bait and switch with Jane, yeah. it makes you think again. Is going to get Peter away. Argento kind of throws something in there to take you off the trail and it goes back to that really good quote that they were talking about where if as soon as you eliminate the impossible everything's possible and you're left with the only thing that's probable yeah and it was peter Neal, and it's just great just that's just the beauty of argento's direction where it's like from day one from the killer switch it should have been all red flags pointing to neil but you have everything yeah. taking you in every other direction yeah, um, let's also talk about that too. There's a line earlier on in the movie where Peter Neal give this, gives this straight to the detective where he says, once you eliminate all of, um, of wait, you, you had it. So yeah, you, you it's just like said, once you eliminate all of the impossible, you're left with only the possible. Them, yeah, yeah. Like that. But yeah, I mean, he's yeah. basically just telling the director straight up. He's like, "Yeah, I'm doing it." Like, what? yeah. <laughs> um, and even the detective at the end, and he said, "I should have known." We're here now, basically. Like, we're this is it's happening now. Um, yeah, he and, was like, "Damn, I should have saw it." <laughs> exactly. Um, also, I thought it was, I. <sighs> I can't remember off the top of my head if, like, Fulci and um, Argento have ever, like, done stuff necessarily together or anything, or if they were you even... You Fulci? Yeah. Argento notoriously hated Fulci. Okay, okay. Yeah, he thought he was really? a shit director. Yeah, he thought he was a shit director, because Fulci talks about that in, uh, I think it's his documentary or something, but he said when he came on the scene... Um, Argento was like his biggest critic. Really? Yeah. He said oh. all of his like way of movie making was not good. Essentially, he said all of his kills and stuff it just wasn't done well. He thought he thought he was trying to copy him. It was really weird. Like Argento thought Fulci was trying to ride his coattails. Interesting, because I found it interesting that there's a lot of um, I I almost felt like there was there's a point in this movie where an actor pops up um, that has been in some um, Fulci movies before where I was like, Hey, that guy, I've seen that guy in numerous um, Fulci movies. And I was like, maybe there might have been a connection between directors, like a, like a positive connection in some way, but I guess not. <laughs> no, Argento was like, <laughs> You know, he's he's notorious for being super picky yeah, about stuff. Yeah. That, and, like, he did not like Falsy, just like he didn't like Luca's Suspiria remake. Like, he's just... Anyone that doesn't do anything like him, he just thinks it's bullshit automatically. Yeah. But even though he wouldn't even be around without Mario Bava, so... 
exactly. Um, and Lamberto Bava had something to do on this film too. I can't remember exactly, but I remember him popping up in the credits somewhere. Um, obviously it was in Italian, so I couldn't tell what it was. Um, I think he helped write it, which okay. is even which is even funnier because. You know, <laughs> you're working with the son of the godfather of Giallo and you want to criticize someone else for copying you. <laughs> Which, like, when thinking about Full Seat is that I do, I guess I can see some similarities to way to the way that um, Full Seat maybe does some of his kills and stuff, um, especially, like, earlier on in, like, like the beginnings of most of Fulci's movies, like, you know, they're kind of shrouded and the kills are shrouded in mystery and stuff, especially like the opening scene from house by the cemetery where it feels kind of Argento ish, but it's well, see, like, I wouldn't even say that's Argento though. I mean, that's the, just Giallo. And yeah. Like, he, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Mystery. exactly. And also like Fulci films, all this stuff in a very surrealist way. Yeah. And Argento doesn't really do that. Like he has like some very, accented colors like he has some extravagance and there's some surrealist aspects with like dream sequences and making it surreal in a way but i think falsi goes even further into the surreal than argento even does yeah and that's why i was getting to the point it's just like dude it's like the bottom line is it's giallo so how can you even get mad at the way another person directs a giallo film i like i mean it almost just like how can you get mad at a certain way that um a certain slasher is made but when there's already like how many slashers already created i mean that's yeah. just yeah i don't know so he yeah. didn't even only do giallo's like you know he made zombie flip exactly yeah i mean and even in that like there is some like you know some directed giallo-esque like stuff with like some of the zombies kills which is really cool and it's like damn if i'm a director seeing that i was like damn dude that's fucking badass as hell there's no one doing it like full c right yeah. now Has our- no. <laughs> a zombie as a shark scene no <laughs> I mean, like, 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 who does that? Like, who does that? I mean, <laughs> that's like, I'm, I'm looking over at my collection right now. I can't wait to watch like, don't, tar- don't, tar- don't torture a duckling. Um, you've watched that one, right? Yeah, I need to watch that too. I need to rewatch yeah. it. I haven't seen it in a long time. I barely remember anything from it. Yeah, so I can't wait to watch that. Um. But back to Tanisha. I mean, dude, this is... I I appreciate it a lot. And I just feel like before I can give it a, like a concrete score, I need to rewatch it again. Um, let's... So there's a very interesting um, direction, specifically with the, the music score of this movie. Um, yeah, so it's like a rock thing, like something which I don't like it when he does yeah. like the kind of rock pop vibe. I don't like it, <laughs> yeah. It's um, so it it's some of the people from um, Goblin, it's not all of Goblin, but some of the people from Goblin, um, like um, Claudio Semente, which I also saw. I can't remember if you saw this or not, but I saw. I saw 
Claudio Cementes Goblin in concert live to Suspiria about a month ago. And yeah, yeah, and afterwards, like they were playing some of um some of the other themes they did. They did Dawn of the Dead. They did um Deep Red. And then they did uh um the main theme from this movie um live, which was really cool. Um, that is cool. But it's like it's definitely like super. I feel like. <sighs> It fits once you know what it is, but at first it's gonna be like, okay, what are we doing with the score right now? I think it's interesting, and like I said, like I I don't know. I just when I saw Four Flies and Gray Velvet, I didn't think it fit with that. Yeah, but at the same time, so when I heard it in this, I really had bad taste on my mouth just from exactly. Four Flies. But yeah. I, I I don't know. I think Argento. And opera uses classical music in it, mixing it with like some rock sometimes, and it sounds awesome. And I mean, yeah, you know, the stuff with Suspiria and everything else that all sounds good too. It's just sometimes he just he doesn't get the vibe right to me. I don't think it yeah. fits the vibe. Yeah, um, and that's where I'm kind of just like I'm kind of in the middle with it. Um, like the music itself is good, um, and it's really interesting. A lot of like disco influences on prog rock and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's just it's interesting to see where it's used in the film and stuff like that. Um, who knows on rewatch how I may feel about it. Um, then also, you know, bringing up dude, like the cinematography through this movie was really good. Oh, it's great, like, especially great throughout, like, a lot of like. Obviously, like you said, like the kills about like especially like the shirt rip scene, um, the whole suspense of that cin- cinematography scene of like the other hooker walking downstairs and just like all the blocking and stuff is done really well. Um, then everything within the house at the end, um, yeah, it's the cinematography is done extremely well all throughout. It's very dynamic compared to a lot of Argento films because most Argento yes, films yeah. are, are very like much neon lit and it has a lot of different colors going on. But this one seemed to be much more kind of muted color tone wise. Yeah. And, and it felt like it played more on the fact of like shadows and light, like I said earlier. But I think it was enjoyable to see an Argento film well, not be just bright, vibrant colors. Yeah. And like, so like once you know, like let's say for Suspiria for by chance like because like once you know like kind of like the cinematography style like within like the first 15 minutes that's kind of what you're gonna get but there's a lot of different stuff that um the cinematography does in this movie and you even get like the um the scene where it's like the close-up of the eye with like the bright red and then yeah and everything yeah Yeah, it looks great that's like that's something i could have totally seen done in like something like suspiria and stuff so it's like definitely like a meld of a lot of different dynamic things that it's like pure argento because he does that in cat of nine tales uh he does like close-up shots of eyeballs and everything it's really cool when he does that to me yeah so it's like very much a culmination of like literally everything that he's kind of done up until this point and it it makes for visually a very and entrancing film at points Um, yeah like i would say like i feel like if you 
could look back at Argento's career, and if he would have stopped at Tenebre, this would be the one where people would say, oh, it's his magnum, magnum opus. opus. Yeah, This is like a mix, like you said, a culmination of all of his kind of directing like stylizations like put into one thing yeah but he didn't stop after Tenebrae but I feel like that's what he might have been going for was that this is like my culmination of everything I've done prior yeah um and especially like there's like some thinking of like all of like the shots in this movie like the one shot that's a POV shot that's like almost etched in my mind is when the girl is on like the sidewalk, not the sidewalk or just, she's just standing on whatever. And you know, it's Peter Neal's like POV coming through the trees. Like that shot of just her seeing him in the trees is just like etched in my mind. That's like the first shot I think of almost when I like think about this movie and it's like, just knowing the context of everything it's effective as hell. It's, Shots like like where he was watching the hookers on the side of the street, and then he realized, uh-huh. he's, and he's oh yes, yes, yeah. And so then he couldn't he couldn't go through with it. But then there was also the POV shot of the axe hidden in the tree, and it zooms in. And it keeps Dude, going. That was realize, yes, that's, yeah. It's a POV until you, you see the arms come and pick up the axe out of the tree, and it's like, that's really good. That's good shit. <laughs> yeah, the, that was literally one of the coolest shots in the movie where it's like it's just getting closer to the tree and the arm grabs it out of the tree. Um, but yeah, like the whole the missing key stuff was so good because like um, it's going back and forth between the killer and then the one um, lady that worked at the um hotel and yeah it was the um, daughter of that dude wasn't it yeah daughter yeah yeah um so you get like the shot of like him going to turn on the car he doesn't have the keys and the keys are like dangling there and then you know that sets up the whole thing where she ends up entering the house of um the first killer and yeah just a, it's layered so well dude it's all yeah. the stuff with her death too was so well done. How the dog was like tracking her the whole time, and she could yeah. not get away from it, and she ends up going into that basement area. Yeah, like that was all so well done. And she finds all the pictures and everything, and then she can't get out at first, and then she finally does escape, and it just he catches well, up with her. It's- and then also, like you know, she stuck, she stuffs them all in her pockets. She's like, "All right, I have, I have the stuff. I, I can bring it to whatever. I'm gonna show it." And then so she gets killed right and then the next morning the um the landscapers are there and they're completely just disregarding all of the pictures and stuff then they get to the body and i was yeah. just like dude that that was directed so well because literally there's pictures of dead people on the ground and you're just going over it then it's not until they go over strictly a dead body to the point yeah. that they notice it's literally kind of the same thing as the town square scene yeah it's the more i talk when about I this movie that. the more i talk about this movie the more i love it yeah i mean it's i mean it's good i mean i'm I, I really like it, and I think it is top-tier Argento, but I really thought when I was watching that lawnmower shot, I wonder if that influenced the lawnmower kill from Sinister. Sinister? Yeah. yeah. It'd be interesting to see the ask, like, Scott Derrickson, like, what, yeah, what was... Big horror guy, so I could see him, like, being all over Argento's homage. Uh-huh. 
so I mean, you know, most horror directors have like a lot of influences that stem from old school horror, especially Italian horror. Yeah. Um, I mean, just oh, Sinister is just such a good modern day horror, man. Oh yeah, and then the second one came along and ruined it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glad <laughs> I glad I never saw that one. So, because I just heard how shitty it was. Um, but I think that's. I mean, I I think those were pretty much all my thoughts on the movie. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to bring up? No, I mean it's just super well done. It's just a good Argento flick. Definitely yeah. top three. Um, so I think you picked this one, correct? I picked Tenebra, yes. So okay. you pick the next one. Okay. Um, so I think I'm stuck in between two. What, what uh, well, I I have not seen a Gaspar No flick before. I've, oh god. I have not seen a Gaspar No flick before. But I also want to watch Dancer in the Dark. But I feel, oh, man, I think we're going to have to do it. I think we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to go of Irreversible. I I need to see a Gaspar No flick already, man. I need to see a Gaspar No yeah, I climax. don't know. No, I I own climax. That's a funny thing. That's but a good movie. I, I, I we we gotta do it eventually. I mean, I guess <laughs> I just don't like it. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, yep. Either a lot of people think it's peak or not very good. So, yeah. All right. So for next time, we'll be watching. Irreversible by um Gasparno. Um this will be my first Gasper Vortex. <laughs> Is Vortex good? I don't know. I haven't seen it. That's his newest one, I think. Oh yeah. I actually can't wait to see that. Um sounds very interesting. Um do you know like the synopsis of it? Sounds like it's about two old people. Yeah. Dementia. Yeah, I can't yeah, I can't wait to watch it. But Irreversible for next time. Because probably the other one's not disturbing cinema at all. So, um, yeah. So, um, thank you guys as always for listening. Um, and we'll catch you guys next time. Peace.